This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I am Will. And I'm Leah. And joining us is Jen from Funky Town. Hello. Hi. Hi, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. Uh, for the listeners at home who might not either know Funky Town or hopefully are old enough to get the reference, but... It was in Shrek 2. Okay, for the listeners who... I mean, Shrek 2 is still a while ago. Yeah, but it's not that much of a while ago. It's enough of... <laughs> We're already <laughs> off topic onto Shrek again. Again. <laughs> This keeps happening. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your research interest and what led you to mushrooms. Ah, well, my name is Jen Pirelli. I'm the mayor of Fungi Town. And uh, my podcast is all about mold mushrooms and different types of fungi. So each episode, I talk to someone who researches fungi or studies it in some way. I try to give a sense that fungi are everywhere and they're very di- diverse. They're not just like mushrooms on your pizza, right? Um, mm-hmm. They're involved in a lot of food processes, in medicine, in art, and just in pretty much everywhere on the planet. So I try to give a sense of like the variety and the vitality that fungi have in our in our lives. Well, I feel like I should probably admit at this point that I did an introductory course to mycology when I was doing my biology degree and uh, yeah, I've kind of been slightly phobic of mushrooms ever since. I feel like I learned <laughs> just enough about them to never want to know anything more. But it keeps coming up that mushrooms are weird and terrifying and everywhere. So I'm just going to have to deal with that. At some Literally point. all you have to do is talk about mycelium and he starts shuddering. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's how I feel about microbiology. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we can share notes later on how we're dealing as organisms in the world populated by things tinier than us but exert so much control over our lives and the sheer terror that brings me on a daily basis. <laughs> first things first, we start with a story that leapt out to me as a fungiphobe. It was published in Science Advances from the University Libre de Brussels about how mushrooms are so old. Like, imagine how old they might be older than that. Yeah, several hundred million years older than what we originally thought. I mean, I like that this comes out of, you know, we thought we had a start date for them as that we didn't know the start date for them. We were like, well, we've got evidence for them this early, but... Uh. <laughs> well, it's interesting because... Okay, so first of all, there's a difference between mushrooms and fungi. All mushrooms are fungi, but not all fungi are mushrooms. So only certain types of fungi produce mushrooms and only when they're ready to reproduce. So I think they found the mycelium, which is like the little fibrous cells that make up most of the fungus. Mm, The bit you can't see, the scariest bit. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, And they found chitin, which actually is a chemical that's also found in insect exoskeletons. Mm. So I'm not sure how they were able to differentiate between you know, maybe an insect fossil and a fungus fossil. So I didn't get too deep into their research, but I'm curious about that part. Well, the description they give here of the uh, different analysis they use, because rather than just like dissolving the rock and seeing what floats to the top, which is destructive sampling and not so great if you want to keep using the same sample, 
they've got a couple of different scans they've been using with all kinds of fancy abbreviations and acronyms like synchrotron radiation spectroscopy, Raman confocal microscopy, fluorescence microscopy, and electron microscopy, which A, is hard to say five times fast, and B, the most <laughs> sci-fi sentence I've said in a good couple of weeks. So they looked at it really, really, really super closely. With lots of different ways of looking. Mm-hmm. And I guess yes. it seems they've cross-referenced those so that they can say this is definitely fungal chitin and not insect chitin. I mean, I I suppose you'd expect to be able to see with an optical microscope if it was an insect fossil rather than something else. I mean, if it's got legs. Yeah, and I'm sure they know what they're doing. <laughs> I'm not doubting <laughs> their, their skills with their very expensive <laughs> microscopes. <laughs> I'm going to trust that Steve Bonneville... Which is Steve with three E's, which I've not seen before. Uh, I genuinely thought it was a typo when I saw the one at the top of the article, but it is spelled that way all the way through. Uh, Yeah, going to have to trust that he knows what he's doing. I'm sure he does. There's a quote here at the end of the press release. The next step will be to look further back in time in even more ancient rocks for evidence of those microorganisms that are truly at the origins of the animal kingdom. And as much as I am a fan of science and investigation and figuring out the answers to the world, there's only so much about ancient fungi that I can, like, kind of tolerate to exist in the world without having a a small (laughs) breakdown. I mean, you'll just have to not try and look it up, I guess. But if you're scouring (laughs) press releases, that might be a challenge. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, now I'm wondering how much how much I should tell you because I could tell you some really scary facts about Funky. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to I don't want to cause you nightmares. I mean, he uh he already did a comedy set about the mind controlling ones, so oh yeah. oh yeah, that's a start. Maybe you should just rip the bandaid off, and if you have any fun funky <laughs> facts to dunk on, then like we can just get those out. I will sit here and shudder and. When I'm editing later, I'll take out, if I do start crying, I'll edit out the sobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you actually do need fungi to live. So they're very important for your own existence. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that that's required. <laughs> it's, it's not news to you. No, but I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and they, do, they live inside your body, so you can't get away from them no matter what you do. Oh, I hate that too. And the idea that they've been around for hundreds of millions of years in everything, neat, but also, ew. <laughs> they've been waiting like, for you for millions of years. <laughs> like, we've all got thrush living on us all the time. It's only when something disrupts the the natural balance that it becomes a problem. It's just yeah. there. But it it does good things for you. It helps you digest vegetables and it helps you fight bacteria so it's pretty good for it only rarely does it go out of control and threaten to my mind all life on earth (laughs) (laughs) which i suppose does then lead into another press release we've got a little bit of an older one a team study from university for advanced studies in tokyo and laval university in quebec who have found new species of fungi in arctic glaciers which are melting and i swear to God, that's the plot of the blob. <laughs> oh, the two that they found are both yeast fungi, which means they're like super, super tiny, and they exist in like little ball-shaped spheres that you couldn't see with the naked eye. So they're not the most 
threatening and scariest of fungi. And it's not that they've been like cryogenically frozen and have just been released. They just, you know, live their lives in a glacier doing their thing. They like the cold a lot. But, you know, maybe maybe they mutate when, when it gets warmer. <laughs> and... <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying I think it's less scary than the many reindeer corpses full of anthrax that are frozen in Arctic permafrost as like post-apocalypse um, scenarios go <laughs> anthrax also being a fungus right is it i don't know is it it's a bacteria <laughs> i think it's a bacteria. bacteria i thought it was a bacteria but it is living okay. yeah i think it is a bacteria i just watched an episode of criminal minds that had that had anthrax in it i'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a bacteria <laughs> Weirdly, I went to an episode of House that I saw a couple of years ago, and then an episode of NCIS that also had Oh, yeah, in it. I've seen that NCIS episode. That. <laughs> it's popular. But yeah, the idea that something can live and thrive inside of glaciers, horrifying. That there's two ones that have just been discovered. Uh, they're named Marikia Hoshinornis and V. Elamirensis. The idea that A, they can live <laughs> in glaciers and that we've only just found them awful that the glaciers are melting and they might i know sweep down off the coast and either take up a holiday spot in florida like so many other ancient things do also (laughs) horrifying i think the fact that the glacier is melting is terrifying enough like Mm. just that fact will keep me awake at night yeah they do drop in something in the press release here that only about five percent of fungi species have been discovered oh yeah it's a very offhand thing to say that, oh yeah, we've only got one twentieth of the total knowledge that like these things exist. How do we know that there's another 95% to go? There's a formula. There's like a mathematical formula for determining how many species may exist. Hmm. And I know I studied it in school, but I don't, <laughs> I can't <laughs> think of it off the top of my head. Like most things I studied in school. Yeah, I know they the do, feeling. They do do the maths on lots of things. Yeah, there's this, an equation that they use to project out like how many species might be out there. That's only adding to the fears I've got that one of the <laughs> many, many species, even amongst the 5% that we know, is going to be some kind of awful pathogen and murder us all as we sleep. That there's another 20 times as many that we don't know. They're only <laughs> going to be worse. There's no way they're going to be nicer than the terrifying... <laughs> fungi that we have because the ones we've got are awful it's only going to be worse and i don't want to know does it make you feel better that there's probably like a similar number of undiscovered beetles out there no (laughs) i thought i'd try is the fact that they're really tiny does that is that worse or better i mean it's not good (laughs) but no it's that they are so small that you can have microscopic ones that you can't see or like big ones (laughs) <laughs> no, no I wouldn't I would not prefer either of those two This is going to be an amazing episode for everyone to listen to because it is basically you choosing to torture yourself with one of your <laughs> one of your least favourite things The world deserves to know that there's fungi out there and they all want us dead All of But them. they're delicious <laughs> They're used to make cheese If you like cheese you can't not like fungi Beer beers champagne soy Bread. sauce it's all fungi related so you couldn't enjoy a pint if fungi didn't exist 
But at what cost? <laughs> Beer and cheese. <laughs> like the best two things. I mean, we do live in Bristol, which is famed for beer and cheeses. They're pretty much the main exports of our town, so I suppose I can't complain too much. Yeah, it's pretty. It's economically beneficial and very tasty. Okay, I'll I'll have to close my eyes to the truth of fungus and just focus on the delicious ones. <sighs> I don't like you. If you embrace it, okay. <laughs> I don't want to embrace the fungus. No. Admittedly, <laughs> that's a great name for a funk prog album, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> But speaking of blinding ourselves to science, I suppose we can tie that in as a segue to the work from the University of Alberta, I believe it was, who collaborated with the Uppsala University in Sweden, which have found that apparently we've been wrong about lichens as well for the last 150 years. Yeah. Actually, Tony Spravilla, the main researcher on that, he recently discovered that lichens aren't just one lichen and one fungus. And now it looks like they've researched further and discovered yet more fungi in that relationship. There was, um, like you say, all of the things I've forgotten from school. One of the ones that has stuck is that lichens are a symbiotic relationship between an algae and a fungus, and they are found on the damp side of rocks and the north side of trees. That's just kind of like, that's <laughs> in there through the school or scouts <laughs> or something. And I suppose the dismantling of everything I thought I knew from childhood continues. That there could be, well, they count up to three in this experiment, which they did DNA sequencing and a couple of scans to figure out from a wolf lichen, this yellow thing that grows in Canada, mm -hmm. that, yeah, they are even more symbiotic than we thought. Scientists were trying to recreate lichens in the lab, and they could never quite mm. get the two organisms to, like, partner up. And they think that part of the reason that's the case is that they were missing these other partners in the relationship. So I think that's what first led them to think, well, maybe there's something else going on here. You mentioned earlier that Spribilla had worked on finding that there was more than just the one fungus. There's a quote down the page that says, our findings from two years ago, so I guess two years before this, challenged the long-held view that lichens were a single fungus. Another author, Hannah Johansson, asks, what this means in concrete terms for overall symbiosis is the big question. I echo the very same sentiment. If everything that we thought we knew about an entire like branch of the tree of life turns out to have been wrong to start. This kind of opens up lots of big questions of just what else is there a fungus in? Which leads back to my fears <laughs> of fungi being in everything. Everything. <laughs> I don't think it's an unknown that there is a bit of fungus in everything. Un it's not unknown, but it is unwelcome. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're being useful in there. The species that they found, the tremella, in lichen is edible it's a jelly fungus and they use it a lot for food in china although the lichen itself is not edible i think it's pretty poisonous but hmm. at least that part of it is non-threatening only a small part of the overall toxic <laughs> i was i was trying to show you the bright side and i didn't do such a good job oh but in this case it is the algae that is the problem rather than the fungus so you know I was going to mention that it's usually the fungus that provides the shape and the structure, and it's the alga that mm. provides the nutrients since it can photosynthesize. So that's kind of why they they have a little partnership there, mutually beneficial relationship. Which ties into research from Michigan State University, who have kind of, I guess it's the opposite of lichens, 
We reckon that algae living inside fungi is kind of the origin of plant life on Earth, again from many millions of years ago, in a way that I regret having to acknowledge exists and has led to life as we know it and me as well, but still. <laughs> well, I think that scientists have suspected that fungi were the reason that we had plants, that they somehow prepared the Earth for plants to be able to come aboard land. And most plants do have fungal colonies in their roots that are helping them to absorb soil nutrients. So, Right. 80 to 90% of the plants in the world associate with, they're called mycorrhizal fungi. It basically just means they hang out with the roots of the trees and exchange nutrients. So they're pretty important, definitely, to plant life. And when I was first reading this article, I was thinking, well, we already know that algae and fungi are like symbiotic in some cases. But the difference here between a lichen and what they found is that normally with lichen, the algae doesn't penetrate the cell of the fungus, whereas it looks like in this case it does. The uh, fungus and algae they've got here are Mortarella elongata and Nanochloropsis oceanica, which, yeah, there's a kind of a breakdown of the walls and a intermingling of cellular capacity there. Yeah, and it might be heritable too, so that when the fungus reproduces, it could have some of those al algae, some of those cells get passed on to the next generation. Mm. So it's a pretty, it seems like a pretty good candidate. And now it's got me thinking that well, we mentioned uh, chitin earlier as being in insects and mushrooms, mm -hmm. and that kind of leads into my pet theory that insects are basically mushrooms that got up and walked about a bit. <laughs> If mushrooms are also behind the spread of plant life onto land on Earth, I mean, I hate to say it, but we kind of a mushroom planet. Pretty we much, totally yeah. a mushroom planet, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be hard-pressed to keep going without fungus in our lives. And I can't think of it off the top of my head. You might know the answer to this. How big is that one super mushroom under, uh, is it Yellowstone Park? It's in Oregon. In the Muir National Forest, it is something like 2,000 acres, 3,000 acres, something like that. It's, it's enormous. But it's underground for the most part, so you don't see it, except when it makes mushrooms and then it's... <laughs> One awful planet to live on. <laughs> you literally look so upset. You asked the question. I knew. I just I needed to have the answer on the recording so someone else, if they didn't know, gets to know. I will continue to quake in fear of our secret mushroom <laughs> underlords, I guess, if they're mostly underground rather than overlords. Uh, anyway. Intralords? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> have you listened to the episode of Fungi Town where the two artists I interviewed have been able to listen to fungi? They what? And so they listen to different species. The different species make different sounds and they respond to different people in the room uh music of the spores does that does that work <laughs> as a pun i'm having a very bad time right now. <laughs> <laughs> i think we did something similar back in one of our episodes they're looking at bacterial language it was a terpene emission they were saying that yeah that's a chemical communication rather than yeah. something you can listen to a similar kind of like secret world, secret communication. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that episode now uh, to find out just how much I should be afraid. 
because I, I smack talk mushrooms constantly. They're going to know I'm smack talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be one of those people that they react to when you walk into the room. They might send off their little bio signals like crazy when you come in because they sense a threat. Would it be like um, those cats that just perversely go and bother the person in the room who doesn't like cats? Right, or the person who's allergic. Ah, <laughs> oh, this episode was a mistake. <laughs> there has to be a way to to get you to see the fungi light and, and um, start to appreciate the wonderful awesomeness. <laughs> I think at this point it genuinely might take therapy, but <laughs> <laughs> if there's anything that's going to wake you up to the the necessity of it, maybe this is it. Maybe. <laughs> maybe after all. I mean, there is there is one more uh, story that we've brought with us to discuss from the uh, University of California, Santa Cruz, about how fungi are useful for maybe ameliorating some of the damage from climate change. So, like, I know they're doing good work. And I'm so excited about this one because it's like it's the kind of stuff that's being talked at in my office job all the time <laughs> um, because I sort of work in forestry kind of. And it's ah, oh, it's so exciting. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, as like you were talking about before, or the trees association with fungi, helping them to adapt to the new conditions, their approach to this. Uh, was really interesting because it's more of a data approach than, you know, like a field research approach. Yeah, less kind of wet lab stuff, more big computer rack sort of science. Right, like satellites and stuff. And I think, yeah, that is an approach that I think people are going to be utilizing more and it's going to be a, a good partner to the people actually going out there and getting into things. Yeah, and it's definitely easier to survey a wide area via satellite than it is on the ground and you mentioned mycorrhizal network earlier the kind of root and mushroom tangle they are looking at those in this study they've got ectomycorrhizal fungi which apparently have grown on conifers pines oaks beaches then there's arbuscular mycorrhizal which mm -hmm. grow on non-conifers such as maples which is maybe a useful reference for americans but i i'm going to defer to leah here non conifer trees in England that I might know of? We're literally sitting on our sofa across the road from a huge beech tree. That's probably quite a good example of a deciduous tree that is native and common in uh, the UK. Okay, that's a beech tree. Good to know. Oh no. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that. I'm just going to let you guys talk forestry for a bit and back away because it's outside of my wheelhouse and my comfort zone. <laughs> Maples are probably a, is probably a good example for North America because it's a commonly like commercially grown species. So it's one of those ones that you'll see lots of. And we all we all like to drink maple syrup or not drink it exactly. <laughs> Put it on things. <laughs> I have seen him drink maple syrup. Don't don't be ashamed. <laughs> I mean, now I'm ashamed. <laughs> One of the big differences between those different types of mycorrhizae is that the arbuscular, the fungal hyphae, which are the little skinny little cells, actually penetrate the cells of the tree roots. Whereas the ectomycorrhizal fungi, they associate closely with the tree roots, but they don't actually go into those cells. 
So that's one of the main differences. I should nail down exactly the bit of fungal biology that I am revolted the most by, and it is the hyphae growth. Ah. And I'm seeing something about the uh, the sheer force on the growing tip of a hyphae being something in the order of like several tons. Like it's got a lot of penetrating power. They found garnets that have tunnels dug in them, and they think that it was a fungus that dug those tunnels. So they can penetrate rocks and things with, with that powerful hyphae. And quite hard rocks. They're. Uh... <laughs> I hate. I don't all think of this, this is helping. <laughs> it's not at all, but it's funny. Um, I'm I'm quite interested when you're um, saying about the uh, the difference in the way the arbuscular and the ectomycorrhizal fungi are acting. Do you know if that difference really closely follows the like coniferous non-coniferous border, or is there some kind of softer edges with that? Definitely softer. There are also pathogens that do this too. Mm. There's a fungus called the rice blast fungus, which infects rice plants. And that also penetrates the cell. But in that case, it's not helping the plant. It's basically sucking all the nutrients and killing the plant. So, you know, these, the, the different types of trees, it's probably a, a, you know, like a generalization with some soft edges. See, now you've mentioned pathogens, I'm looking up the ash dieback, which is, again, something we've been talking about quite a lot at work, because it's about to affect an awful lot of trees. And um, I'm going to have to do some extra reading, basically, <laughs> about how those things behave. It's a big problem in Texas. Yeah. Oh, you guys have got it too? Yeah, yeah. I think it's global now. I don't think there's anywhere that it's not. Oh, oh, that's a concern. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably global because humans are global. Sure, it's our fault somehow. <laughs> our biocontrol <laughs> isn't necessarily fantastic all of the time. Mm -hmm. See also many invasive species. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know, I feel like fungi have just used us to get around on an already very fungal planet. We are the vector for them. Well, insects and bacteria too. <laughs> oh, them too. And small mammals and larger mammals and... We're all slaves to the fungus. We're a vector. <laughs> we are. Slaves to the fungus, a good follow-up funk prog album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to this, this album's release. Is it just going to be you screaming in terror? <laughs> I definitely know a couple of people who do some experimental jazz stuff, so I'll put you in touch and make sure you can uh, put this all together. Well, I didn't have a segue to lead to the end of this episode but i suppose i do now <laughs> so we can all go from this conversation knowing a bit more feeling a bit more or less scared and with the inspiration for i don't know why not make it a trilogy do some kind of theming on the evolution and colonization of earth with fungus and how we are all just carrying out their will what an <laughs> awful prospect do you know the really fun thing about your upset about fungi is that you're not upset about vast intergalactic voids they're the absence of fungus <laughs> they are the only safe place well oh. star trek discovery disagrees but <laughs> I... <laughs> okay i don't want to terrify you any further but i i wouldn't say that it's safe <laughs> tell you what i'm just gonna take out my headphones for a second you can tell leah okay <laughs> Ready? Three, two, one. Have they have they definitely found fungus in space? 
Well, there are fungus on the space station because we unknowingly brought them there. Oh, and Elon Musk didn't clean his car properly before he shot it into space. <laughs> right. There's definitely fungus out there. <laughs> and they can survive radiation. There's actually mushrooms growing inside of the Chernobyl nuclear reactor right now. Have any of them learned how to eat the radiation yet? Because that's the next step, right? Yeah, they're thriving on that radiation. So radiation, CO2, there's a lot of CO2 in space. They can absorb that carbon from CO2. And they do really well also in basically in the vacuum of space. They did an experiment where they took some lichens onto the space station, exposed them to basically mm -hmm. the conditions outside the station. And not only did the lichen survive, but when they brought them back to Earth, the lichen were able to reproduce. So all that radiation didn't sterilize them or kill them. But did it give them superpowers like the Fantastic Four? I, that's still <laughs> yet to be seen. I think they're doing some more research. <laughs> so not even space is safe. Is it safe for me to come back? Yeah, yeah. I think we've, I think we've wrapped up. I think so. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to have to hear all of that when I'm editing this later. Jen, thank you so much for your time and for your terrifying insights no into problem. the world, which I already feared. <laughs> if people want to know more about the microscopic terror that is the bane of my existence, where can they find you at? You can find me at fungitown.org or um, my show is also on Apple Podcasts or any other like podcatching app that you happen to have mm -hmm. pretty much everywhere, just like the fungi. Uh. Part of me wants to torture you and part of me wants to make you feel better <laughs> combating. <laughs> Again, I think the only option might be therapy to like help you just accept that sometimes it's, it's no use fighting it. I'm not sure if I'm enough of a mycorrhizal masochist to endure that much torture, but... <laughs> Ooh, that's a good band name. <laughs> yeah mushroom based death metal there's already a band called mushroom head that play death metal <laughs> well there we go then it's a genre it's a genre nice. on that note jen thank you so much for your time today thank you our thanks again to jen at funky town you can find her at the links that she mentioned and our thanks also go to everyone else on the stimulus network if you want to hear more about the science of the interstellar spores in star trek discovery then you can head over to the cosmic shed where they chat all about that or for more about other scary things listen to spooktator for more about our fungal earth we've got for what it's earth as well and also stay tuned to all the stuff happening with inside the petri dish who are doing some of the activities over at cardiff science festival this week if you want to torture Will with fungal facts, you can find us in the following places. At Eureka Nerdcast on Twitter and Eureka Nerdcast at gmail.com. Please don't send me spooky mushroom things. I don't want them. <laughs> if you do send him spooky mushroom things, I highly recommend you also make a donation to our Ko-fi to just offset that yeah, a little bit. Maybe pay for therapy, which I clearly need. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by The Stimulus Network.